2: starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market right overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete and David Seberg, Dan Nathan and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast Energy stocks are on fire, soaring in the past month. The biggest names rallying hard off their 52-week lows. The traders will tell you how to catch this rally. Plus, 21st Century Fox volatile after reporting earnings. A conference call is underway. We'll hear what the C-suite has to say about its lingering deal with Disney and if Comcast could derail it. But first, while everyone's watching the energy sector, fang strikes back. The original market leaders are on a tear. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix all up double digits in the past month, with Google not too far behind as they all inch back to their all-time highs. So is the fang trade back for good, and will the group regain its status as king of the market? Pete Nigerian what do you say?
3: I would say the answer is yes. I mean, we, if we go through when we, when we talk about all the different technology space, we talk about earnings, and we look at what the earnings numbers were for many of the companies that have reported by now, they're absolutely incredible. And then you get the Warren Buffett side of things that actually, I think, fuels the FANG names, along with the rest of technology, and for that matter, even into the chips. But since he came out and talked about his opinion, and he talked about the economy as well, and that's something that so many people left that part of the side. He talked about the economy and the fact that he sees it as much stronger than most everybody else has been reporting about. I think because of that, that really helped the market out to tell them, you know what, we're not done yet. There still is more room on this rally to the upside. And some of these names have been pounded down. You look at a Micron, you look at an Intel and some of the names that got pushed down. For no particular reason. I don't think it was valuation by any stretch. And you look at some of the numbers some of the, the companies have put up, it's not because of that either. But I think that gave everybody the green light to say, you know what? Fang's okay, and the rest of technology is okay as well, and you can start to buy into some of these names. And
2: you know, Facebook for a long time, we were saying, it was an idiosyncratic story <laughs> simply because I think of it's Cambridge still Analytica. But to be fair, it's back. Uh, yeah. basically to put pre- yeah. Analytical uh, right. levels.
4: It point. overshot to the downside. Again, it didn't have any impact in earnings, and I don't think it's going to have a, a, a material impact in earnings going forward. But it's not just the FANG trade that's that's on. It's the momentum trade in general that's on. If you look at the MSCI momentum index today, you look at 25% of that index is banks and in financials, and the other 27% is roughly technology. I mean, the momentum between banks, financials, and technology is sort of in play here. So I think both those sectors are going to continue to work and and lead this market higher. I
1: mean, look, I don't know why you need to go buy Apple at all-time highs or Facebook at all-time highs with a lot of risks around it. I mean, you know, look, I I like Apple, so I won't pick on Apple, but I'll I'll pick on Facebook just enough to say it's not about the valuation. We know that. They had very good numbers, but there's still a lot of uncertainty there. We've had a nice snapback across the entire market, and chasing – which is what I think you're doing, 21% in three weeks on Facebook, not something I want to do. Having said that, I think the S&P had a very important breakout above that downtrend line today. I think you've got the VIX down below 200 on the moving day. And guess what? It all happened on the day when we got back above 3% on the 10-year. It's a very good sign that equities almost interpreting that higher oil prices, they're imputing that upon the economy and upon the level of growth out there. That's what's going on today.
5: Yeah, I think it's a mistake to look at each one of those names that we talked about in Fang and say there wasn't something fundamental there. I think in each case, we can look and see. Facebook was obviously pretty um, fundamental to their business. It didn't affect this last quarter. You know, Google's one, uh, Alphabet. You know, the stock is still meaningful below, meaningfully below its highs. They had year-over-year operating margins that were down from 27% last year to down 22%. That's a real reason for concern for a stock trading at the levels it is. So, to me, I think there's a lot of issues um, with some of these individual names. And I'm with Tim. I don't think you have to buy Amazon at the all-time highs. I don't think you have to buy Apple at the all-time highs. I will tell you that showed great relative strength throughout the sell-off from you know, all through April during earnings season. I know you just mentioned Intel. Intel, Intel never really yeah, sold yeah. off. No, and you know know. What it else? sold off. No, 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 not, no. not meaningfully. It, I mean, hit it, f-
3: hit a, it hit a new high after yeah. earnings. But that same day, it turned I and know, fell to the other we're side. We're talking
5: about these FANG b- that were down, some of them were down 15, almost 20% from oh, no the highs earlier in the year. And the other one is Microsoft. Microsoft's been in this very long base. Stuck. 97. Uh, it, you know, at some point, it's going to break out. It's going to be yes. above 100, that sort of thing. Brief. So, um, you know, to me, it seems like kind of old tech seems a bit more defensive and a bit more safe. a better valuation support there than some of the other ones. That do have some pretty idiosyncratic issues.
2: As far as tech goes, though, Tim, and I throw it back to you, yep. X Fang, do you like tech?
1: i tell you what, the semis, you know, if you look at what really, I think, led a lot of this rally back. So the semis underperformed the S&P by 9% in April and actually have stormed back. So um, I, I like Intel. I, I hate to sound like the broken record here, although I think we've been pretty consistent on this one. Um, I, I think the rest of tech in terms of other chip names, Micron is very cheap, not in that name. I'm not sure that's a name I would go for. But I, I, I look at global tech, too, because I, as you all know, I look at the global markets. Alibaba has been one of the best performing stocks in the world, but also now back up at a 195, 196 nice. level that but I actually faded some of that over the last couple of days because I think these are tough levels for these stocks.
2: I'm going to preface my next question to Pete with a question. Sure. The preface is, keying off of Tim, a rising oil, oil prices, rising interest rates, is that telling the story of, a, of good economic growth?
3: My answer would be yes.
2: And so and in that case, yep. in that case, do you want to be in technology or would you rather be in something like industrials or materials or energy?
3: You may want to be, yes. I'm very heavily in energy. I also have a, a you know, Weighted t- pretty heavily as well towards technology and towards the chip name specifically. And Tim talks about the underperformance. Totally agree. I actually still think Micron is one of those names that. It's been told so many times the story of well, you know, this is the company that's just not going to be able to combat what's going on in the. Ra-. They have an unbelievable balance sheet. They still have incredible growth. I like Micron. I like that name. I continue to be in there. I continue to be the Intel. There are names I think that are going to continue to work to the upside.
2: We got some breaking news here on Ford. Let's get to Phil Lebeau in Chicago with the details, Phil.
6: Uh, Melissa, this is breaking news on Ford. As I'm actually waiting for a conference call to begin with Joe Hendricks, the global president of operations at Ford, basically the head of manufacturing there. Ford has decided that it will be halting all production of the F-150 starting at the end of the second shift tonight. So essentially 11 p.m. Eastern time. They've already completely stopped production at the F-150 plant in Kansas City. They were still building at the Dearborn truck plant. That will stop at the end of the second shift tonight. They have also suspended super duty production at the Ford Kentucky truck plant. Essentially, it comes down to this. They do not have critical components that are needed for the instrument panel in the F-Series because of a fire at a supplier's facility last week. That supplier's facility, there was an explosion and a fire. That means they cannot make certain key components. Those components are critical to building the F-150, and without them, Ford can't build its best-selling and most profitable vehicle, the F-150. We're going to hop on this conference call. We'll have more for you in just a little bit. But again, Ford, at the end of tonight, will stop building the <clears throat> F-150 until it can find a way of making these components again. Guys, back to you.
2: Phil, is there any sense of how many F-150s are built in a day? Just to get a sense of what the, what the damage is to the financial financials. Not in a, a day, shutdown. but let me give you, me give you some yeah. point of
6: reference for how many in a month. In the month okay. of April, about 60,000 were built. 60,000. They run three shifts at both of their plants to build the F-150. Uh, they have about 80 days of inventory within the system on dealer lots or being shipped to dealers right now. So are they okay for the next week or so, Melissa? Sure. You go out into two weeks or two and a half weeks and you still haven't been able to find a way to build these components, then you're going to start to see some dealers complaining. By the way, Ford uh, out with an announcement about this saying at the end of the announcement that despite the fact that this will have adverse impacts on in terms of sales near term. It is reaffirming its full year guidance guidance of earning between $1.45 and $1.70. No doubt they will try to make up any lost production through overtime once they can get everything back and running again. But when that will be remains to be seen.
2: Okay, Phil, thank you. Phil Abo in Chicago. Um, reaffirming the full year guidance uh, speaks volumes in terms of the impact here.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's clear. 80 days of inventory. I mean, reaffirming guidance to me, if there's any weakness in the stock tomorrow, it's probably a buy-in weakness. I mean, they're, they're going to set up this well. I believe they'll probably find a solution to this, um, and we'll know very soon if they can. not So I would suggest buying the weakness.
2: Uh, and then in terms of it, it just might mean waiting a little bit for your F-150. So do you yeah. lose that sale because you have to wait? Nope. I, don't I don't think know. so. And the F-150,
1: yeah. that's, look, that's their go-to. It's yeah. their highest margin product. Ford's taken it on the chin since the, the entire market pulled back. It has not pulled back in line with some other names. They reported their first quarter It was in line but slightly soft. Um, but why buy it now?
2: Yeah. And not too much reaction in the after hour session, we should point out. Let's get back to the markets here. Joined now by Fast Money friend and Uber Bull, Tony Dwyer of Canaccord with the one chart he says could signal more gains for stocks. Tony.
7: Thanks, Mel. As you know, one of my famous sayings that I love to talk about is corrections are only considered natural, normal, and healthy until you actually get them. And once you get them, you've got to look at the volatility and say, okay, how do you know when you're making an intermediate term low and you're ready to start the next leg higher? Well, we have a chart here that's a 14-week capitulation chart. It's a stochastic indicator. And what we look for is times where you get to this green line which shows oversold. And what you'll notice is every time you touch this green line and get below it and close back above it, you're at a point where you have an oversold rally. Each time you have a major intermediate term low. That just happened in early April. Mm-hmm. When that happens, you get a median gain of 14.85% over about seven months.
2: Should we invite Tony over to the desk?
7: Yeah. I mean, that kind of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, you know, that is <laughs> refreshing. <Precious. laughs> <laughs> <Precious.
2: Precious. laughs>
7: Thanks,
2: Ryan. You're sweating. You didn't think I'd <laughs> Hashtag- invite you over. Hashtag <laughs> <idiot>. <laughs> Um, In those scenarios, are there sectors that typically lead the way?
7: It's it's more random, but it's obviously the more cyclical, higher beta areas. And the sector calls that we have right now is what we call the productivity trade. And the productivity trade is if companies are seeing corporate inflation, the only way you can offset that corporate inflation is productivity. Well, who funds productivity? Obviously, banks and capital markets companies provide the money for it. Industrials implement the productivity with automation. And technology is the brains behind the productivity. So those three sectors typically do the best as you're flattening the yield curve with the Fed raising rates.
2: Does it matter what happens prior to that time when the line touches the green line and it forecasts the 14 percent rise over the next six months in terms of the sector leadership or what takes you down? Uh, Is that what normally takes you up?
7: I would say, okay, so typically, yes, you go into the defensive sectors and there's a big overweight in the defensive sector. Here's the problem with that. The consumer staples are typically a defensive sector. And if you look at the consumer staples relative performance chart, it's in a free fall. So... It's hard to say that it's always going to be the same. What you look for is just a sentiment basis where, like, for example, we had uh, over 65% bulls in the Investor's Intelligence newsletter writers in, in mid-January when we are looking for a correction. That's down to 43%. You've already had that kind of, I don't want to call it capitulation of sentiment, but it definitely isn't as bullish. So, Tony, we were just talking about Fang. You like tech here. Um, you know,
5: we're looking at the S&P. It's still in this downtrend. It didn't really meaningfully close above it. You know, so you have Microsoft at the highs, you have Apple, yeah. you have Facebook back near them, you have Amazon making highs. Um, you know, what's going to take the market back towards, in the very near term, you know, back to that
7: highs from late January? That's about 5.5% from here. That's a good question, Dan, and I think it's the fact that it went down, in theory, on slowing growth, higher oil, and higher interest rates. Well, we have all three of those, and it's not working to press the market lower anymore, which is one of those indications. What we do is we look for fundamental – we have a deep fundamental core thesis, which is absolutely still positive. It's based on higher earnings per share. And you wait for it to actually kind of – people stop believing in it. You're at that point, but you're not pressing the market on those perceived negatives. There's no Trump tweet. The Iran deal withdrawal was supposed to blast it. All these different things that were going to, they were going to get you, the boogeyman, the 3% 10-year boogeyman. They're not pressing it, and as a result, you're getting some buying interest.
3: Tony, with the financials, uh, that's one of the, the areas you talked about as well. Does it matter the velocity of the move of the 10-year in terms of can the financials, will they be able to stay up? Or is that something that scares you a little bit? I mean, if the 10-year if the
7: takes off and yeah. that velocity picks up. You'll get a correction for sure. And, and it's funny, Pete, because when we were getting that initial move to the ten, in the 10-year to 3% earlier in the correction, yep. people were saying, well, it's the velocity that's bad. And I look back at the <laughs> velocity and it was like, wait, it was way worse twice this cycle and it didn't crush the tape. Mm. It's really – so here's what kills this story from a short-term basis and then a long-term basis. You guys are sick of me talking about the yield curve on a long-term basis. I get it. On a short-term basis, you have to have a perceived global crisis in economics. So think about the Asian economic crisis in 97, the Russian debt default in 98. Think of 2011 through 2015. You had a European debt crisis every 15 minutes. China was going to you know, go to zero on real estate and the see-throughs and then on the commodity crisis. You need that perception that the world can bring the U.S. down. The reality is it can't. The only thing historically that has led to a long-term bear market is a recession, and that's always identified by an inversion of the yield curve.
2: Tony, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks,
7: Mel.
2: Uh, What do you make of what Tony said? What did you do today?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, you know what I love about Tony is not only is he the best-looking guy on the desk here, but he comes with the same thing every time, which is very important. It's that consistency, and I think that's been very important during difficult times. By the way, did you know that Tony's got a new product out there?
7: Really? What's yeah, that, what yeah, is that what product? product?
1: WireStrategy.com, which yep, you, uh, you can, can get there. Tony a lot more than just the, the few moments we get to share with him here. So. A, lot, a lot of that
7: comes from my friends at, at CNBC and the Fast Money Show, where people kept asking me, where can I get some of this research? And we're an institutionally-based firm in the U.S., so you can go to DwyerStrategy.com, and you can get the more thoughtful, longer-duration pieces that we you have. Might, you might put us out of business, my man. Not so. a chance dude <laughs> You are in my business. Yeah. <laughs> thank you.
2: Again, thank you, Tony.
7: Awesome. What'd you Thanks, guys. Awesome.
5: Yeah, so a couple weeks ago, I put a SPY short on. It was working out pretty well. I was trading around a little bit. I cut half of it. You know, the, the level that Tim is kind of identifying on this downtrend, that to my eye, it hasn't broken out above that yet. But I do see if it were to establish a level above that downtrend, you could probably see the S&P back, you know, another 50 points in the next few weeks.
2: What looked interesting today to you, Pete? You
3: know, energy continues to absolutely dominate everything we do. That's been the the case for at least three or four weeks. So I trimmed up a couple of things because everything I've seen, really short term. I mean, we're talking about one week, two weeks, maybe two months at the most out there. I'm taking profits. I'm taking some profits off, actually taking off complete positions because they've moved that fast. Marathon was one of those examples. Across the energy space, there's been time. AMD's another one. We were talking earlier. AMD's not one of the names that I'm a huge fan of. Should I not be covering my
5: spy short right now?
3: I wouldn't be. I I bought spy calls just yesterday, so no, I would not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Coming up, energy catching fire as rising geopolitical tensions are on the rise around the world. The former Secretary of Defense, Leon Panetta, will join us. 21st Century Fox volatile after reporting earnings moments ago. The conference call is underway. We will hear what the media giant says about its potential deal with Disney and the new competition from Comcast. And later, Elaine Wynn to the rescue. The ex-wife of founder and former CEO Steve Wynn fighting for control of the company and it's uh, and it's sending the stock back to all-time highs. We've got all the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors are betting on win. The stock nearing an all-time high as support grows for Steve Wynn's ex-wife, Elaine Wynn's battle to shake up the board. Contessa Brewer joins us here on set with the de- with the details. Contessa, yeah. The so
0: in this battle for the boards, Melissa, Elaine Wins garnered the support of all three shareholder advisory firms, Glass Lewis, ISS, and now Egan Jones, are recommending that investors vote against legacy director John Hagenbuck. Now Elaine has been waging this serious campaign to push him out highlighting that he's serving on the company's committee looking into the sexual misconduct allegations against Steve Wynn, even though he's closely tied socially to the former CEO. In fact, Wynn had named him to the board. So Egan concludes it presents a strong conflict of interest and it compromises the reputation of the company and the board. And they're looking at the compensation committee saying, look, he wasn't looking out for shareholders when he was deciding executive compensation. When Resorts has responded to all of this with continued defense for John Hagenbuck and his contributions to the board, highlighted the praise the advisory firms had for the board's decisive action after the scandal. And while that's true, ISS went on to say, though the board acted swiftly when faced with a crisis, the legacy directors apparently failed to change the batteries of the smoke detectors well before the fire broke out. Hmm. So can you really claim credit for putting out the fire if you're at fault. By the way, they're not letting Elaine off the hook either. Glass-Lewis points out that she shares some responsibility for Wynn's, quote, more regressive machinery. Of course, all of this will be sorted out a week from today at the annual shareholders meeting in Las Vegas. It's not, I mean, at this point, it looks like they're going to keep with tradition and not allow reporters inside. Mm -hmm. So we're pushing for more transparency. And you're hearing that from these
2: shareholder advisory firms as well. The fact, though, that three have sided with Elaine Wynn, does that mean um, that a lot of the companies that may own Wynn passively, that they're just going to vote along with the recommendations?
0: I I mean, that's a great question for the people who manage those funds and and let the algorithms do all the work and all of that. Here's here's the interesting part. You have a new owner, Galaxy, that owns almost 5% of the shares. T. Rowe came in, owns a big chunk of this. They don't have the right to vote those shares now at the first shareholder meetings by the law, by the regulations of this company. Steve Wynn still has the right to vote those shares. What we heard just a few days ago was the Massachusetts Gaming Commission say if he does as he says he's going to do and does not vote those shares, then we will consider his ties with this company broken. This is a very important moment for the future of Wynn Resorts.
1: Well, and, and I'll tell you, sorry. Yeah,
2: no, go well, ahead. Well, Matt
1: Maddox has, has been a busy guy, and and the other yeah. part of is is kind of working through the corporate structure, cleaning up a couple of these bond indentures, which have given everybody the ability to have as much freedom to vote the rest of those shares. So it's crucial.
2: Yeah. Uh, in terms of Steve Wynn, though, is there any reason to believe that he would, in fact, vote the shares? He and, has said he won't. Basically. He's taken all
0: these steps to separate himself from the company. Right. But what, what the Massachusetts Gaming Commission did by, by withholding that final piece of the judgment was just to be sure. It's just the last piece of insurance that he's really
2: gone. Contessa, thank you. Mm-hmm. Contessa Brewer with the latest on Win. Uh, Pete, where are you standing? Which you know, I still play? own the stock. True. I, I, I Even continue. Steve Wynn sold. Because right. he bought, when Steve Wynn I bought. bought,
3: because he bought, but I didn't right. sell when he sold why because not? I don't feel he would have sold under other circumstances, mm-hmm. for instance. So, because of that, because of the growth they've gotten Macau and how strong that continues to be, and Tim knows that as anybody yep. knows that yep. story, it's unbelievable. I think because of that, why wouldn't I stay in a stock that I think he was setting up at some point in time? This came earlier than expected. But he was setting up some point in time that he was going to have to step down. Not a young guy. And now Maddox, I think, was the heir apparent that's going to be running this thing for the next few years. I think everything's been laid out five years in front of him.
2: I mean, the interesting thing about the role of Elaine Wynn at this point is that she's basically the activist investor in the stock that didn't have an activist investor before. Yeah, and
3: it
4: seems like the market very clearly thinks it's a good thing if this gets passed. So I look at it and say the Massachusetts ruling is super important. That's a linchpin to the story right now. Uh, you know, Again, the stock doesn't work without that, in my opinion. So I think that it's an okay buy here still under the circumstances that this gets
2: through. Right, still ahead, Ford saying moments ago it is suspending all production on F-Series trucks. It's best-selling and most profitable vehicle. The company hosting a call to address the news right now. We will bring you the very latest. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money and CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
8: And with it, so have oil stocks. And something happened today that suggests the rally may last a while. We'll tell you what that is. Plus, backed by popular demand, it's Bitcoin Part Two. The biggest names in crypto revealed to us where they see opportunity now, including a rare interview with Bitcoin Jesus, Roger Ver. Deal with it. That's all next week on Past.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Trump's decision to exit the Iran nuclear deal reigniting geopolitical tensions. Eamon Javers is at the White House with the very latest. Eamon.
9: Yeah, hi, Melissa. On that North Korea issue, uh, the president said earlier today that he's prepared to reveal the time and location of the North Korea summit in just a couple of days. So that is coming up and something to watch. Also, we had Sarah Huckabee Sanders today asked about all of this. Uh, and here's what she said. Some new developments might be coming on Iran.
2: AS THE PRESIDENT SAID YESTERDAY, uh, HE WOULD LIKE TO SEE SOMETHING HAPPEN, BUT WE ARE 100% COMMITTED TO MAKING SURE THAT uh, IRAN DOES NOT HAVE NUCLEAR WEAPONS. AND THAT'S we're, UNTIL WE SEE THAT HAPPEN, WE'RE GOING TO CONTINUE TO PUT MAXIMUM PRESSURE, uh, ENORMOUS SANCTIONS ON THEM. ALL OF THE SANCTIONS THAT WERE IN PLACE BEFORE THE DEAL uh, ARE BACK IN PLACE, AND WE ARE PREPARING TO ADD ADDITIONAL SANCTIONS THAT MAY COME AS EARLY AS NEXT WEEK.
9: So that's the key there, Melissa, the White House press secretary is saying additional sanctions may come as early as next week on Iran. That's pretty much even as the White House is negotiating this North Korea nuclear deal. So two big nuclear deals uh, taking place at the same time, going in very different directions, the president getting out of the Iran deal but into a possible North Korea deal uh, right in the same week here. One of the big uncertainties around all of this is what the reaction is going to be among European governments and European companies and just how intently uh, the United States will deal with those European companies if they continue to do business in Iran. How will the United States handle that under this new sanctions regime? We don't have a lot of clarity on that point Uh, at this point. We've been pressing Treasury Department and White House officials uh, for more details on that. We'll bring them to you when we have them, Melissa.
2: All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers at the White House. For more on what exiting the Iran nuclear deal could mean, let's bring in CNBC's Leslie Picker who is in Las Vegas sitting down with the former Secretary of Defense under President Obama, Leon Panetta. Leslie, take it away.
10: Hey, Mel, thanks so much. Secretary Panetta, thank you for joining me. Nice to be with you. Obviously a very topical day for you to be here. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this uh, Iran situation with the U.S. unilaterally pulling out of the deal. With no plan B, do you expect there to be another plan? And in the meantime, are we setting ourselves up to be on a collision course, either economically or geopolitically?
11: Well, obviously the greatest concern is that uh, I don't see a strategy here. I don't see a plan B. Uh, And the problem is if we've offended our allies, which we have uh, by basically dropping out of that agreement, uh, we're possibly going to implement sanctions. And if our allies continue TO ABIDE BY THE AGREEMENT, WE WOULD HAVE TO SANCTION OUR ALLIES. WE HAVE RAISED QUESTIONS ABOUT TRUST AND WHETHER THEY CAN TRUST WHATEVER WE CAN uh, AGREE TO. AND I THINK IN LARGE MEASURE WE HAVE LOST OUR LEVERAGE uh, IN TERMS OF GETTING IRAN TO THE TABLE BECAUSE uh, IRAN HAS NO INCENTIVE REALLY TO SIT DOWN AND NEGOTIATE ON ANYTHING RIGHT NOW. SO MY CONCERN IS THAT IN THAT VACUUM, uh, WE ARE LEFT with a negotiation which isn't likely to happen or some kind of potential military confrontation in the future. And that's a lousy choice.
10: Which do you think is more likely of those two?
11: I think the problem really is going to depend on Iran. If Iran decides that as a result of what the United States did, that they're going to now implement new enrichment uh, and start to uh, develop the kind of capability that could lead to a nuclear weapon, then. I don't, I don't think there's any other option but the potential of some kind of military action, because Israel certainly isn't going to tolerate Iran developing a nuclear weapon. And if Israel acts, uh, they will, by virtue of just agreements with the United States, Drag us into that conflict.
10: And if there is a conflict, uh, one of the main concerns, of course, with the US unilaterally pulling out of the deal is what that means for our European allies, what that means with our relationship with China. uh, What happens if we are pulled into some sort of conflict? Do we, can we depend on the European allies as we have in previous conflicts in the past?
11: Well, the problem is in, in the world of today. WE HAVE A NUMBER OF FLASHPOINTS AROUND THE WORLD THAT WE'RE DEALING WITH, CRISES AROUND THE WORLD. Uh, AND IT'S NOT JUST IRAN, IT'S ISIS, IT'S Middle, MIDDLE EAST FAILED STATES LIKE SYRIA, IT'S RUSSIA, IT'S CHINA, uh, IT'S CYBER ATTACKS. AND THE REALITY IS THE UNITED STATES CANNOT DEAL WITH THESE CRISES with our, WITHOUT OUR ALLIES, WITHOUT OUR ALLIANCES. WE CAN'T DO THIS ALONE, AND HERE WE ARE TAKING OUR GREATEST ALLIES, France, Great Britain, Germany, and basically throwing them uh, out the window in terms of the agreement that we signed with them. And I think China and Russia, who probably already have concerns about what the United States is doing, we've just increased the level of distrust with them as well. So we are not in a very good position right now uh, to, to build the kind of trust. And, and this is all about trust. You can't have any deals, you can't work out any negotiations without mutual trust. And what we've raised are real questions about whether or not you can trust our country.
10: Now, this maximum pressure campaign tactic, this uh, negotiating strategy that Trump has utilized, uh, has appeared to at least bring North Korea to the bargaining table, and, of course, the three uh, people were released today. Um, Do you think that this is hot air? Do you think that there's an actual solution to be had here? What do you make of what's going on in North Korea? Well,
11: look, this is a president who likes to operate by chaos. Uh, He's he's torn up a lot of agreements. He tore up the TTP agreement. uh, And yet there was no strategy as to how we replace that. We left the Paris agreement with no strategy as to how we replace that. Uh, He got rid of DACA without saying we should fix it. But then where was the strategy? Uh, On North Korea, obviously, you know, we did implement sanctions. Uh, We have the chance to sit down and try to negotiate. Uh, And I'm pleased, obviously, that we were able to get our prisoners back. But the real question is, wait a minute, this is about denuclearization. And we have heard nothing with regards to the specifics of denuclearization. What do you do about verification? What do you do about inspections? All of the issues that have to be worked on that, very frankly, take time. And I don't think we have a strategy yet as to how we're going to approach that.
10: Now, a lot of people are looking at Bitcoin as a way to go around the sanctions, that companies can potentially utilize Bitcoin as a currency uh, to go around the sanctions put in place in Iran or other places, um, as well as potentially buy weapons using the currency. Do you have any thoughts about the utilization of Bitcoin and what we should be doing on a defense side to protect ourselves against that?
11: One thing we've always learned about sanctions is that... uh, our enemies always find ways to get around those sanctions in one way or another. North Korea did, uh, utilizing both China and Russia. Uh, We have seen uh, Iran uh, during the time we were implementing sanctions try to find other ways to get around it. So there's no question in my mind that there will be efforts to try to find other ways to avoid those sanctions. I think the biggest problem right now is that if we are going to implement our sanctions We're going to have to take steps to go after our allies who have said they're going to continue in the agreement. Uh, And the idea of our sanctioning France, Great Britain and Germany, uh, I think would be a terrible signal to the world in terms of uh, the relationship with the United States. So the chances are that uh, there will be efforts to look at uh, other options, whether they'll be successful or not, whether we can find ways to stop them from going around it. Uh, I HAVE NO IDEA do, WHETHER WE'RE READY FOR THAT.
10: DO WE HAVE THE ABILITY to, TO PATROL THE USE OF BITCOIN OR OTHER CRYPTOCURRENCIES TO ENGAGE IN TRADE?
11: AT THIS POINT IN TIME, uh, I DON'T THINK WE REALLY HAVE THAT CAPABILITY BECAUSE WE'VE NEVER HAD TO FACE THAT KIND OF SITUATION. BUT I REALLY DO THINK AT THIS MOMENT IN TIME, uh, IF WE'RE GOING TO HAVE ANY HOPE OF ULTIMATELY RETURNING THIS SITUATION TO A NEGOTIATION, WHICH I, I THINK IS WHAT THE PRESIDENT WANTS TO DO, IT'S WHAT OTHERS WANT TO DO. BUT WHAT HAPPENED HERE IS THE PRESIDENT LOST HIS LEVERAGE BECAUSE WE HAD THEM AT LEAST IN A BOX WITH REGARDS TO DEVELOPING NUCLEAR WEAPONS. Mm -hmm. THEY'RE OUT OF THAT BOX NOW. AND THAT'S WHAT MAKES THIS A VERY DANGEROUS SITUATION for the United States and the Middle East.
10: All right, Secretary Panetta, thank you very much for providing that insight uh, to us on such an important day in the geopolitical world. I'm going to send it back over to Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Our thanks to Leslie Picker and Leon Panetta
2: on Las Vegas. Um, interesting what he said uh, about Bitcoin, because it has been thought that not only is it being used in the dark web to do a lot of nefarious Naughty, activities, but it is also being thought that it's used by rogue countries as well to get around things like sanctions, but also procure weapons and other things that otherwise they wouldn't be able to do.
1: Inability to police is is why, you know, federal governments need to get a tro- control of it. I mean, as a citizen, I want my government actually to be able to control currency. So just to be clear, I mean, I'm very much in favor of crypto. I'm very much a believer in the blockchain technology. But this is an issue that I don't think has been reconciled.
2: This has been an argument that this is why the government should step in and regulate cryptocurrencies, and this is why there shouldn't be a cryptocurrency that is not backed by a government.
5: Right. But, I mean, it just seems like there's going to be cryptocurrencies that are backed by governments, but it's not going to be the one that's actually adopted and has the, you know know what I mean, has the network effect. That just uh, goes against the the whole core reason for the Bitcoin white paper to begin with. So I think the true believers are going to continue to do what they do. And there's always going to be people who say that it's used for illicit reasons in this matter
1: whatever. It's not coming into the light. But but but, but, it's it's not about... Um, you know the big, big brother taking our freedom away. This, this, is about bringing it into an area where it can be monitored, or at least well, so, they're first starting of all, to be able to do for that for tax so- reasons, for all the reasons that we monitor uh, regular currencies.
4: Well, I think it's important to recognize if you have a tainted wallet or you have Bitcoin that's been delivered into a tainted wallet, now it's you can't sell that Bitcoin. It's very difficult What's to mean transact. Wallet? Meaning that if it's coming from a source that's believed to be a tainted wallet. What's a tainted wallet? I mean, you know, technology-wise, I mean, to give you that, it's like from drug, you know, m- money or whatever it is. You got a tainted wallet. Yeah, a tainted I mean, wallet. I've always felt very Meaning a corrupt, a, corrupt, a, corrupt source, <laughs> a corrupt source, you can't you transact that. They can do that. They the can see On the dark web,
2: you don't know they what can, a tainted wallet is. If they, you're taking the money in and you're sending have, them a gun. They
4: have ways Identify- they have ways of identifying that now so there are scenarios where you've got wallets that have a lot of Bitcoin in them that have come from sources that have been known to be illicit sources and you cannot transact in that particular wallet or you can't sell that Bitcoin you can't liquidate that position
2: Um, Let's switch to the other side of this uh, geopolitical conversation with Leon Panetta, and that is energy Trump's Iran decision lighting a fire under the oil trade. The energy sector soaring more than 12 percent in the last month. This has names like Valero, ConocoPhillips, Halliburton, Chevron, Exxon, Surge, double digits off their recent lows. Is there more room to run, or are you buying what Pete has been selling?
1: Well, I know, Tim. I'm not buying Pete stuff, but I mean, it's probably, <laughs> probably yeah, yeah, well. somebody, somebody has. Um, the, the things that, to me, have been the story in energy, not just since the Iran deal and not just because Saudi Aramco is something people talk about, it's an industry that's actually running under a much more disciplined uh, supply and demand, but you know, ultimately capacity and CapEx and OPEX. So who do you want to invest in? You want to invest in the best-of-breed E&P guys that are not growing at all costs. And then I think there are distress stories out there that I think some of them actually, it's about balance sheet reparation. I'm talking about some names that were former glories in NatGas and in, you know, even in EMP that I think are worth looking at here. Dan?
2: Yeah.
5: Yeah. Um, you know, listen, I kind of feel like a lot of this activity is kind of late cycle. I think that. You, you know, for the same reason why you're kind of taking profits in some of
3: these equities
5: that, but were I'm holding on to
3: plenty as well, just so you know. Right. Yeah.
5: But uh, I mean, to me, it just seems like this last push as far as oil and the related security or you know equities, you know, it, it seems like it is pretty geopolitical. And if it were to slow down, I'd like to think that we'd probably see some of this activity moderate. I mean, listen, you couldn't give away the XLE, which Correct. is Exxon, right. Chevron, Schlumberger, forty percent. You yeah, know, know, like what a month ago, you know, like just like it, it But let me ask you like, a I quick question. Change, I would not chase the disconnected
3: a wallet. <laughs> the, di- yeah. the disconnect that has existed has been oil prices going up, right? I mean, you and go back just a couple weeks nothing. ago. ExxonMobil, look at how much it's up. Almost nothing. You did a power right.
5: pitch on that. Right. It,
3: it was 76 and a half. Now it's 80 or thereabouts nice or whatever. Trade. And that's not enough. That's not enough. That's why I still like that name. But it was at that price when oil was at 27. Right. So I think there is that disconnect that will close that gap on some of these names. I think there are other names out there with not as great a balance sheets that have absolutely screamed to the upside. So
2: they've closed that gap already? They have closed
3: that gap, yeah. but there are others out there that I think it can still close.
2: Alright, still so ahead, Fox, Volatile After Hours, of Murdoch's just commenting on the Disney deal on the company conference call moments ago. We'll tell you what they said. Plus, semi-stocks are soaring Nvidia, Micron, AMD all up sharply over the past week. We'll tell you how much higher some see the group going when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Shares, of 21st century Fox volatile after hours. The earnings call wrapping up moments ago. Julia Borson has been listening on that call from Los Angeles. Um, and so she'll tell us what the Moroccans have to say about the Disney deal. Julia.
12: Well, Melissa Lachlan and James Murdoch faced a range of questions about Comcast's reported interest in outbidding Disney's $52 billion stock deal for Fox. Here's what Lachlan Murdoch said.
6: We're not going to kind of engage in
1: in a lot of speculation around this, but I I can say that we are committed to our agreement with Disney and are working through the conditions uh, to bring it to a closing. Uh, In addition, our directors, though, of course, are aware of their fiduciary duties on, on behalf of all shareholders.
12: When asked about Comcast taking on Fox's bid for the rest of Sky, James Murdoch indicated Fox's lengthy process underway has an advantage. We remain
5: committed to our
6: bid to buy the remaining Sky shares we do not
1: own and expect to receive UK regulatory approval in a month or two. Comcast has just begun its regulatory process and we think it's very reasonable for Comcast to undergo a robust regulatory review which could take months. A Comcast review would be appropriate given the important role Sky and Sky News play in the UK media market.
12: They also said that planning for New Fox, the parts that aren't selling to Disney, is underway. And they're making strategic investments, such as the acquisition of seven TV stations from Sinclair and Tribune, those announced just today, as they look to bolster New Fox's reach. Melissa?
2: Julia, did he actually elaborate on on what would make, what would close the gap? What would make up for that $10 billion difference in the two offers? Why would, how could (laughs) Disney's bid be superior in some other way to make up for that $10 billion the company would not be getting for shareholders? That's a very good question.
12: They said they would not speculate. Of course, we have to remember that the Comcast bid that we've been reporting on has
2: not officially been made yet. So they said no speculation there. Oh, that's a good out for them. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles. So I turn it to you guys. Same question.
1: Well, if, if you go by the, the Disney bid, yeah, it is somewhere around 43 bucks. The, the part that goes to Disney is 29 bucks or so. The, the part that would stand free would be about $14. Um, obviously, these numbers weren't great numbers, but no one really cares. So um, it's hard for me to believe that this is the end of the line on this share, though. I think right. it goes higher.
2: Coming up, breaking after-hours uh, news here. Ford suspending production of its F-Series trucks. The company holding a conference call right now. With the latest details still to come. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back. NVIDIA hitting an all time high today ahead of earnings tomorrow afternoon. So, Dan, what's the options market implying?
5: Yeah, so only about a six and a half percent move, which is actually shy to the four quarter average, about seven and a half percent, and the 10 quarter average, is a little more than that. So, when you think about that, if you're looking to play this thing for an increased breakout or some protection, and you buy an at the money put or call, it's just half the implied move, which is about three and a quarter percent. So, this move looks priced really cheap for a stock that's up 32 percent of the year and breaking out to do all time highs. All
2: right, for more options action, check out the full. Friday 5 30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead Ford suspending production of its popular F-Series trucks. The company is holding a conference call as we speak. We'll bring you the very latest right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got breaking news on both Tesla and Ford after hours. Let's get the fill for all the details filled.
6: Melissa, let's start first with Tesla. There was a fatal crash of a Tesla Model S which killed two 18-year-olds in Fort Lauderdale late yesterday afternoon. The NTSB today has just announced within the last couple of minutes that it is conducting an investigation into the electric vehicle post-crash fire and emergency response. The reason that headline is important is because the NTSB uh, makes it clear in announcing this investigation that it does not at this time anticipate autopilot being part of this investigation. That could change as the investigation goes on. But at this point, they are not looking into whether or not this vehicle was in autopilot mode. Again, it's focused on the post-crash, the fire, how the emergency crews handled the fire, etc. That's the news on Tesla. Now let's shift gears and quickly talk about Ford, which at 11 o'clock tonight Eastern Time will shut down all production of the F-150, the company's most popular and profitable pickup truck. That's because they don't have components, components from a supplier are not being made because of an explosion at a supplier's facility last week. As a result, Ford completely shutting down F-150 production for how long? Here is the head of manufacturing and global operations at Ford, Joe Hendricks, just a few minutes ago on a conference call.
3: It's really hard to
4: say. I know that um, you know we want, people want more crystallized answers.
6: Uh, I think it's safe to say that, you know, we're going to see an impact for several days. Um, but we can't say beyond that, as Hal and the team are working with our supply base to get things back up and running. It'll take, it'll take a few days to make that happen. Um, but we can't say
8: anything beyond that because we're working the plan every hour.
6: Production will be shut down at least through the end of this week. One last note, Melissa. Ford does say that near-term, first, second quarter financial results likely impacted because of the shutdown in production, but it reaffirmed its full year earnings guidance. Melissa, back to you.
2: Phil, and quick question on the NTSB investigation to that Tesla crash. That that car was a 2014 Model S. Is there some reason to believe that there's something the NTSB is looking at in terms of the structure of the vehicle that may have contributed to this fire? And if that is the case, it has a structure of the Model S changed from 2014 to 2018?
6: I can't get into specifics. I Uh. I wouldn't have the answer to that, Melissa, but I can tell you this. The NTSB is looking at a number of electric vehicle incidents, not just with Tesla, Mm -hmm. but other models as well. They're trying to better understand this technology.
2: All right. Phil, thank you. Busy night for Phil LeBeau in Chicago. For more on Tesla and Ford, let's bring in Event Solutions International President Mike Jackson. Mike, welcome to the show. You actually worked at GM, so it's a great night to have you. In terms of the impact on Ford, they said impact on the first and second quarters When Henrik said that it would take several days to work out, is he being optimistic? Do you think that's reasonable?
8: Well, I mean, the fact that they closed down both Dearborn and Kansas City um, tells you that it's a much bigger issue um, as it relates to sourcing the parts. And F-150, that's their bread and butter. I mean, it's probably never happened, at least in the last 20 years, where they've had both plants shut down. And the financial impact is they still have to pay those employees. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you just don't shut down and send everyone home and – mitigate your costs. So it's a it's a big issue. I'd watch it very closely the next couple of days.
2: If you're a GM, how would you try and get those people who are going to buy the one fifty who may now have to wait for the 150 to buy a GM pickup?
8: Well interestingly enough, I mean you know they've got 80 days supply, anything less than 4550 they start to run into a problem. So they got a little while to fix it. But Ford sells a lot of King Ranch up up level models that you know they're they're per transaction is, is not just the highest volume in the category, but they've got the highest transaction prices as well. So uh, I'd give them three weeks, but anything longer than that, it's going to be a really big problem for the dealers.
2: We're pressed for time tonight because of all this breaking news, Mike, but in terms of Tesla, how, how big of a problem do you think this is to throw a light on, on not just because this autopilot is not the issue this time, but autopilot right. had been an issue. And now all of a sudden, it's a broader issue potentially with electric vehicles.
8: Well, you know, Tesla, I I said it last week, they've got to grow up at some point in time. I mean, when the fact that you have 400,000 orders of your Model 3, you've got the Model S, it's been in the marketplace for a while. They've really disrupted that large luxe category. 7 Series, they can't sell those cars. BMW can't. S Series on the Mercedes side, they can't sell those cars. So now it's Tesla. And they have to work with the NTSB. They're going to have to work with Wall Street because their competition's coming.
2: They have to be adults. I mean,
8: Audi's gonna spend 20 plus billion dollars on EVs right. over the next five years.
2: We gotta go, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to see you. Mike Jackson. Awesome. Um, oh,
8: thanks. Quick trade
2: year. on uh, Tesla or GM?
8: Well, I tell or you. On Ford, GM, sorry. Look, yeah, GM to me is the
1: one you buy of the three. Um, you okay. know how I feel about Tesla. We don't have time. Um, I think GM's valuation and the reaffirmation of earnings has been fantastic.
2: All right, final trade drop next. Time for the final trade. Pete Nigerian.
3: We talked about win a little bit tonight. I think this thing's got a lot of legs to the upside. Giddy up. 32. I was surprised to see match weak as it was
4: today. I'd be a buyer on weakness. Facebook's not going to have a near turn impact on it. Dan
2: Nathan.
4: Nice call, bag. Um, yeah. Spot. Getting a little support <laughs> here at
5: 150. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to kick the tires here.
1: Wow, we got a smile out of Dan today. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Nice job, Man. Danny. And I'm in guy seat, so I gotta say it's hump day. EEM actually will get you done because this thing was oversold. Find it today.
2: Hi, Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at five for the Fast <laughs> Money. Meantime, Fast Money with Jim Kramer. begins right now. He's still smiling. Yeah, <laughs> he's
4: smile all right.
8: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric.